in to episode 111 of the Two and a Half Marks podcast. My name is David Savin, and as always, I'm joined by my good friend Angelo Inglisa. As we rewatch, we live, remember, a different wrestling pay-per-view every single week. And this week, for our 111st episode, we are going back. We haven't done a lot of ECW, like real, like, kind of classic-era ECW on this show. I mean, like, what? Like, maybe two or three at the most? Four, possibly? Over the course of the, again, 111 fucking episodes we've done of this terrible podcast. So it's it's a little bit of a change of pace here. We're going back to ECW. We are watching ECW Cyber Slam 1996, an ECW supercard from the pre-pay-per-view era. So it's not technically a pay-per-view. They actually cut this up into a few episodes of ECW Hardcore TV, which you can tell by the way it's edited on Peacock. Um not a like like I think the only like for instance the only match that like gets entrances is the uh, the Raven Sandman match, and then also I think weirdly the like uh, the J T Smith Axel Rotten match. You get both of their entrances. Uh, I think Spe- I think Spiros Greco also got an entrance. Yeah, Spiros Spiros Greco gets. <laughs> we'll talk. And then I think that the Eliminators get their entrance, but like a lot of these matches don't have entrances. For instance, Sabu and Two Cold Scorpio, which is like the standout match of the show. They like cut to the ring and they just immediately bell rings and they're already there and they just start going. Uh, but this is a very, very up and down card. A lot of guys on here that we have never spoken about before. A lot of guys on here that are just like guys who were indie guys who passed through ECW and did a few jobs and that was it and that no one remembers. Um, very wildly ranging uh, in quality here, but it was definitely a very interesting watch you know what? What you know? A lot of people pine for the glory days of ECW, and 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 there's a lot of really great shit there. There's also a lot of slop, like just utter slop, utter garbage trash. And you get a lot of both of that here. It's a really, you know, this is, this is this is the real ECW, folks. It, it, I I've really been looking forward to talking about this one. What's going on? Yeah, it's a violent whiplash of like, oh shit, that was really cool. I'm like, oh shit, I never want to watch ECW again. Uh, I just like I always think about like, yeah, you know what? It's been a bit since ECW. And ECW has like this entire cult and mystique about them. Uh, you know, kind of GCW has kind of taken up that kind of niche nowadays with like the whole extreme wrestling kind of thing. But like, I just hope that when we're old and gray, we don't look back on like eight early AEW. It's like, wow. Uh, this is like ECW back in the day. Like the ca- the whole point of counterculture sometimes kind of gives things a mystique that they maybe don't need. And there's a lot of good things in this on this card, but there's a lot of shit that just leaves me like this is this is what people consider peak counter wrestling to programming to WWF and WCW because it's just man, there's some shit. There's some real bad shit on here. Yeah, you, you mentioned the word counterculture, which I think is an interesting term to bring up because it's like. Like maybe there's a reason that like some of this stuff was like counterculture because it wasn't like really like palatable to like a mainstream audience. And some of that was for like a good reason. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. at times here in, in ECW. But also, I mean, this was a but a lot of the stuff you're seeing in, in Scorpio and Sabu. You're not seeing that in WWF. You're not seeing that in WCW. People watching this like mainstream wrestling fans aren't seeing stuff like that. And it's it's the type of wrestling that genuinely pushed forward the art form by years at a time, you know, like the next generation of pro wrestlers saw the stuff that these guys were doing and said, I want to do that too. 
and it like genuinely moved along pro wrestling in the US in like a very significant way. So there's there's like, you know, it's it's two sides to the say it's it's two sides of the coin, right? Like you gotta take the bad with the good. You also had that rotating free agency too, which ECW kind of like ECW wasn't afraid of putting guys that weren't necessarily dedicated with the company in like big spots. Like this is 1996. The fact that they have Cactus Jack on this card is uh, that was a little bit insane to me just because like this is a time where, you know, the 90s is all about Mick Foley. And here he is in ECW doing just this random no DQ violent match with Shane Douglas. Yeah, it's just kind of crazy to see guys that are maybe on the main circuit that will come back to ECW and do the crazy shit. It's like uh, seeing John Moxley go and do these death matches in GCW or doing uh, Barnett's blood sport. It's like you never know uh, who's going to walk through the quote unquote forbidden door. Yeah, the, uh, the 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 list of people who ended up passing through ECW, obviously, that may, may not be like really identified with ECW. A lot of people remember, you know, sort a lot of people remember some of the work that Mick Foley did in ECW, but. You know, it was it was a brief run, you know, in between when he left WCW and before he signed with WWF. He's like, I mean, his match here is like one of his last matches in ECW. Like he had a uh, like a very like like he's like a, like a couple weeks away from signing with WWF and everyone knows that he's going. Um, but yeah, like there, there is a long list of guys that just kind of passed through whenever they were like maybe in between shit like, you know, obviously like. You know, Stone Cold Steve Austin wrestled for ECW for a little while between when he was in WCW and between when he was in WWF. Scott Hall showed up once or twice towards the end of ECW's existence. Rick Rude. Yeah, Rick Rude, you know, at one point. Um, It's just like Paul Heyman always was jumping on whoever he could. And maybe those and those guys were the only ones that he was actually paying. So (laughs) they were they were happy to take his money. but. Um, it is, it is cool because it's like whenever you you can like click on any random ECW card and like, see like one or two guys that maybe you like kind of don't really expect to be there. And that's like, it kind of became this sort of grab bag ECW that like melded a lot of different styles of pro wrestling and introduced a lot of people in, in the United States to a lot of different styles of pro wrestling. So in that sense, uh, beyond just the like, well, you know, all the all the hooting chuds loved it uh, uh, was very significant for the growth and development of, of the pro wrestling medium as a whole. So and, and you get a lot again, you get a lot of just different shit on this show, a lot of stuff that's really bad, but also a lot of stuff that's really interesting and cool. Um, so, yeah, and a lot of just random ass dudes and a lot of especially the first half of this show just total slop like just just fucking like guys that you don't know who they are having a two minute match and then that's it you know it's like what, what was the point of this yeah it's just a lot of ad-lib stuff it felt like there was no structure it just felt like all right uh everyone get into pairs and have a match go yeah and that's kind of i, I think that was part of like maybe part of the the appeal for some people was because it was so loose and you had this there was sort of the sense that like anything could happen, right? Um, so it, it's 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 definitely a very, very interesting watch. It's good and some bad here at Cyber Slam ninety six. Uh so yeah. 
it's about time to remember some guys, Angelo. Let's remember some guys, David. All right. It is February 17th, 1996. We are at the world famous ECW arena in beautiful South Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. 1,300 people in this uh, in this building for an ECW supercard in the pre-pay-per-view era. They're going to chop these up into a few episodes of ECW Hardcore Television airing somewhere near you at like 3 in the morning. Uh, really some, some like it's a very top-heavy card, some really good-looking stuff at the, very, at the very top of it. We've got Raven versus the Sandman. For the ECW Heavyweight Title, two ECW Classic guys, two Cold Scorpio and Sabu, two guys who were on the absolute cutting edge of pro wrestling at this time. We've got Shane Douglas and Cactus Jack, and we've got a dog collar match also with guys like the Eliminators, the Pitbulls, Stevie Richards in this match. Probably going to get some really good action there. David is super excited about John Cronus. Love John. This is... John Cronus doesn't do his cool shit, though, in this match. It's it's kind of a weak John Cronus match. Actually, the really big spot, if I remember correctly, was a Perry Saturn spot uh, from the Eliminators. I think so, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but big fucking John Cronus guy. You ever get the chance to watch the Eliminators? John Cronus is a big dude doing shit that he should not be doing. <laughs> uh, just a freak, freak athlete. Absolutely love John Cronus. Um, interesting note here. ECW, very well known for just, you know, hardcore bloody violence. But this was the first show under what was at the time a new a brand new no blood edict that had been issued by Paul Heyman. He he issued it right in the wake of Tommy Morrison, who was a big boxing star. Also, no, if you if you watched the movie Rocky five, he was the guy in that movie. Um, Tommy Morrison, who was a heavyweight boxing star, had tested positive for HIV uh, not too long before. And people were it was a huge news story that convinced Paul Heyman to say, hey, we're not doing blood anymore, at least for now. That rule is not going to last, obviously, insanely long. But they do have this rule on the show. And I, if I Remember correctly, I think there were like a couple We Want Blood chants from the crowd. I think so. There were a few chants I couldn't quite parse. I think it was in the Eliminators match, maybe. There's like a We Want Blood chant, which, you know, that's that's the ECW fan base right there for you. Um, but so we and, and so we uh, we have that going on. So that's an interesting little dynamic here. This is, again, the first show under that. New rule just issued by Paul Heyman, and we will not get any blood of any sort for the next two and a half hours. We've got, of course, Joey Styles riding solo on the call, as he always did, and we cut straight to the ring. Again, not like there's a lot of, you know, cutting in between matches. There's not a lot like this is filmed for TV, right? Um, it's. There's like it's filmed for TV. They're cutting it up into a few episodes of the ECW like weekly TV show. A lot of entrances are cut out. A lot of times we are just cutting straight to the ring and a match starts. And that's what happens right here. It is like a little disorienting. Honestly, we cut straight to the ring for six dudes that you have never heard of. Uh, <laughs> so, here, here, so it's a six man tag. I had never heard of any of these guys. So the. All, so the they have a, a tag team called the Bad Crew, who are just six 
big dudes. They had kind of, they kind of floated around ECW for a little bit in the mid nineties. Um, they're just two really big guys. You can tell that they're the bad crew because they're wearing matching t-shirts that say bad crew on them. And then there's a guy named judge dread, uh, who is obviously named after the, uh, the, the movie. Certainly uh, no trademark issues there. The original much better than the remake. Um, but yeah, this is a guy named judge dread. He's, fucking huge like really really big um they are taking on uh three just jobbers who are getting their ass kicked they are way like these these three guys are are just miniature compared to these guys uh they're they are uh dino sandoff dino sendoff um we have uh don e allen and then we have uh a guy named the dirt bike kid who uh, the dirt bike kid, apparently uh, a British guy who had come to the U.S. to uh, wrestle here. Um, and he's wrestling straight up in like in like a dirt bike out, like like a, out, like an outfit that you would wear to like ride a dirt bike, like all blue, like one of those kinds of deals. He's just not wearing the helmet. And uh, yeah, so it is Dino Sendoff, Donnie Allen and the dirt bike kid. And it is like a basically like a six, like a, like a, like a it's a six man tag. It's a complete squash. Um, these guys are just getting thrown around. Um, one of I, I have to say, all of these giant like I, I expected nothing out of these giant dudes. The stuff that they do hit actually looks pretty good. Yeah. Um, one of them hits a really really nice looking tiger driver. Um, they hit a super hard attack on one of the other guys, and the guy just dies. Um, and then they get the pin. Um, Bad crew and Judge Dread over. Um. In two minutes, three seconds, and then afterwards, the Sandman gets in the ring. Um, Sandman runs it out of nowhere. Crowd goes crazy for him. He hits everyone with the kendo stick. Then he grabs a mic, and he just starts screaming, yeah, over and over again. <laughs> <laughs> Crowd's going crazy. Then, as now, people still love the Sandman. And then he just yells into the mic, now let's get extreme. And then he hits, <laughs> breaks the kendo stick over one of the guy's backs. And that's the first... A segment of the show, like six guys never heard of having a very big match, and then the Sandman beats everyone up. I don't know what I'm supposed to say here. Like, you, yeah. you, you describe the match, you're just like, okay, cool. What do they take away from here? Uh, the Dino Sendoff is a hell of a jobber name. It's a great job. And then, like, the Dirt Bike Kid. I mean, how could you. Like, the Dirt Bike Kid is the biggest, is the, is the most jobber ass shit I've ever heard. Yeah, it's um, like. And boy, boy, does he. You know? <laughs> Big, long, scrawny dude just gets thrown about and flailing. Um, Yeah, no, but, like, the bad crew in Dread had, like, some nice power moves, but, like, I don't know. Why am I supposed to care again? I don't know. It is what it is. It's, like, like, very least, like, the shit that they do actually looked good, mm -hmm. you know? I expected, like, their shit to be a lot, like, sloppier and worse than it turned out to be. So, like, I guess we've got that going for us here. I I guess. Again, the Tiger Driver was nice. You know, like that. I thought I was actually very impressed by whoever hit that. It looked they, good. They could really use like a Tanay here or an Excalibur. Just like paint some kind of story as to why this match is happening, There's as not opposed to time for them to explain <laughs> who these people are. Exactly, and it's just like, okay, cool. I just watched. Uh, I watched a murder. That was fun. And why is why is Sandman here? Is Sandman here because he's just extreme? And Sandman is here because he's over. And like <laughs> they know that like that like people will people will give a shit. About the Sandman, you know. I guess uh, it's a, certainly a way to start. 
I know it is certainly like it's like, OK, here we are. You know, we're leading off. You know, nowadays people have come around to. It, it, like a lot like WWE does this now where they will put a big match first. Right. Night of Champions, they let off with AJ Styles versus Seth Rollins. AEW doesn't always necessarily lead off with like one of the big matches, but they'll lead off with something they know is going to be hot as fuck. Right. Mm -hmm. And have a lot of really exciting action. This is like, okay, we're leading off with six guys you've never heard of having a two minute squash match. It's like, okay, you know, the fans aren't really going to care about this. Uh, so I guess we'll get the Sandman out there to fire everybody up, you know? I I guess that was the thought. Because we Um, know that they will, like, the fans will react to the Sandman. They will see him, and they will go apeshit, because they love him. He's got that pull. Because he is ECW. Uh, so yeah, I guess that, that's, that's what's happening here. We're going to follow a squash match with uh, three more consecutive squash matches <laughs> to get off the show. We cut to the uh, – Joey Styles, I think, called him the extreme rookie. Uh, this guy named El Porto Ricaño, uh, who very much by his name it would imply that he is from Puerto Rico. He is not from Puerto Rico, folks. He's actually from Ecuador. And interestingly enough, the ring announcer introduces him as being from Ecuador. <laughs> but his name is still El Porto Ricaño. Um, and he apparently, Pablo Marquez, El Porto Ricaño, still wrestles to this day. Huh. Uh, primarily in Puerto Rico. Fun fact. But he apparently was just up uh, like a few weeks ago wrestling at a show up at the at the Mecca, at the, Knights, uh, the Ridgefield Park Knights of Columbus in Ridgefield Park, New Jersey, where every single uh, wrestling company in New Jersey runs all the time. Huh. So he's still he's still wrestling to this day. Um, he is taking on a guy named Spiros Greco, uh, who is a guy doing a like a Greek guy gimmick. He's got like Greek flag trunks. Um, according to Dave Meltzer, he was a student of Dean Malenko. Um, and we've got these two guys that nobody really, like, you know, uh, I don't really know who these guys are. Uh, and we're having this match here. And the match goes on. And El Porto Ricano, I think he gets like maybe like one drop kick at the very beginning of the match. Yeah. And then Spiros Greco cuts him off and then beats him up for the rest of the match. Like he like he gets no offense for the rest of the match. And honestly, I think I saw something that this guy, uh, Spiros Greco, who wrestled more under the name Rico Federico during his career, I think I saw something. He 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 looks like he kind of like made the rounds a little bit, like did some job stuff for WCW, did some job stuff for WWF throughout the 90s. Uh, he appears to have been like, at one point, the head trainer for uh, Dean Malenko's like wrestling school. I saw he, he trained uh, Prince Ikea. Yeah. Which doesn't speak that well of him. But uh, a lot of the shit that he does looks terrible in this match. <laughs> like some of the stuff looks all right. But like some of like his like flying offense. It's like he does like he does like a what Joey Styles calls a jumping knee lift. That was so bad that like I couldn't even tell what kind of move it was supposed to be. And then he like he's doing stuff where it, like he is like not making any contact with him. And I can't even tell what he's trying to do. Uh, but he just beats him up. 
Um, he hits a flying shoulder block, and then he hits a pump handle side slam. Gets the pin. Four minutes, 27 seconds. Again, like a, just a nothing match that where like nothing happens. I, li- I like the finisher, and Spiro Greco had like, I don't know. I thought he had an air about him. I'm like, oh, this guy, like, he's he's got a look. He got a look. He lo- maybe not money, but maybe you know something adjacent to money. Maybe he could be traded for goods and services. What was what was the what was the Greek currency uh, <laughs> before they had the uh, the euro, the drachma? Yeah, yeah. He, he looks like drachma a little bit. He looks like drachma. <laughs> he smells like drachma. Yeah. But yeah, no, his drachma. offense was his his offense looked terrible. Uh. Yeah, he had the look, and that was it. And he just kind of threw this smaller guy around, and the okay, that's we're moving yeah. on. I, it's, this is another one where it's like, okay, like the crowd kind of seemed to aggressively not give a shit about this. Match. No, like it seemed like this was getting like actual go away heat, you <laughs> know, and they just like didn't give a shit at all. And then the match ends, you know, uh, and then we cut to like again another. We got a, two more squash matches before we actually start like getting stuff on here. We do have, uh, of course, Bill Alfonso. If you love God, East, you got to love Bill Alfonso. Bill is in the ring. Thankfully, he's not blowing the whistle during this match, really. At least not that I really noticed. Um, Bill Alfonso is in the ring with Taz, the human suplex machine. We've got Bill Alfonso screeching on the mic. Taz is going to be murdering a very tatted up guy. Uh, by the name of Joel Hartgood. And Taz just fucking throws this guy around and beats his ass. He does this suplex in this match where, like, like Joey Styles is like, I think he's just invented that suplex. Like, in the middle <laughs> match. And I have to say, I've never seen anyone do this suplex. It's like he got the guy in, like, a head and arm, like, triangle, and then, like, belly to belly threw him over the top of his head. It was really insane. Um... Like Taz is just inventing new ways to the throw pop on his hips every time he throws a man. The, the hip pop fucking god, Taz. Uh, I mean, like Taz is literally freestyling new ways to drop people on their fucking heads in this match. Uh, and then he puts, uh, he hits him with a half and half suplex again, drops him directly on his fucking skull, and locks in the Taz miss Taz mission. Hartgood goes out cold. A minute fifty four seconds. Um, the EMTs come to take Joel Hartgood off. They put him on a backboard and pick him up and then just <laughs> <laughs> it over. Uh, and then a bunch of the jobbers from the first match, Dirt Bike Kid and the gang, all run out to defend uh, Joel Hartgood and Taz just fucking yeets all of them around. <laughs> and the king jobber, the jobber that people ended up liking so much that they actually like memed him into reality, uh, Mikey Whipwreck runs into the crowd, uh, runs in. And he get you know, crowd gets hot for Mikey Whipwreck. They really did actually, like, genuinely love this guy. He comes in. He beats up Mikey uh, Bill Alfonso, hits a hits a drop kick on Taz, hits a pop-up Frankensteiner. Crowd is, crowd, again, crowd hot for Mikey, but then he comes off the top rope. Taz catches him into a belly-to-belly suplex, then locks in the Taz mission. Mikey goes out, and that's the end of that. So Taz kills everybody. Hurt good, more like hurt bad because he got thrown around by Taz. He did get hurt bad in that <laughs> one, folks. Uh, look, I will, I will always love any moment we get to have Taz on screen because Taz is just such a, such a specimen of a human being. I love everything he does. There's never been a moment where I'm like, yeah, no, I don't want Taz on my screen. Just give me all the Taz. Taz was so fucking sick. 
I, I again love that guy. Uh, Bill Alfonso could do without, though. Thank God he would, like was only made a brief cameo. If he was there any longer, I was gonna have to give myself a lobotomy. Yeah, this is pretty tame as far as Bill Alfonso appearances in ECW. And again, no whistle really. You just kind of have him like screaming gibberish into the microphone for about ten seconds as Taz gets in the ring, and that's about it. And then Taz so, murders somebody. If you're very much you know, not into Bill Alfonso. If you're one of those people who's like, yeah, like Bill Alfonso ruins ECW for me. You'll be able to watch ECW Cyber Slam nineteen ninety six. Do you think Bill Alfonso has marks? Oh, yeah, I know he does. I know he does. Bill Alfonso is one of these things like I, I do like read people talk about it. And like people who were like ECW heads are like. Yeah, you kind of had to be there with Bill Alfonso. Like, I mean, it's he's like annoying in retrospect, but at the time, like he was good. Like people people were into him, you know, like like he was getting like like real heat. You know, people cared about Bill Alfonso. So like it's one of those things where I I guess we had to be there and we weren't. I was a year and a half. I was like a year and a half old when this show happened. This is February. I was like four months old. Yeah. So like, I don't know not for me but again i was a a, an infant so yeah whatever man i know i I do know that there are people that that like belafonso though so we then cut to the ring we have one more uh one more squash match squash match left but we're gonna have a very long promo segment oh boy this was something joey styles is in the ring welcoming us to ecw even though we've already had three matches uh, then the lights go out, and who shows up in the ring but making their ECW debut? It's Brian Pillman, who the crowd goes nuts for. He has just been released by WCW. Uh, Ange, do you know the, the the classic story of how Brian Pillman got his release from WCW? I do not. I know Bischoff played a role in it, though, based on this promo. Oh, yeah. So this is, like, one of the all-time, like, greatest, like, like, like him just fucking work like it's it's amazing so he wanted to quit ecw um and so the as the story goes like they were going to do an angle where pillman gets fired like he started developing like the loose cannon gimmick and start like you know doing like the work shoot type stuff in wcw and brian pillman like they they wanted to do an angle where like Eric Bischoff fires Brian Pillman and then Brian Pillman like convinces uh, Bischoff like, hey, it would this this would like really work if you actually fired me, like legitimately released me, like actually like drew up the paperwork releasing me from my contract. And so Eric Bischoff did it. And then. (laughs) Brian Pillman was like, all right, bye, fuck you. <laughs> and then, like, went to ECW, did this shit, and then, like, signed with WWF, like, two months later. <laughs> like, never came back. That's incredible. Yeah. Brian Pillman, a legend for that. Like, <laughs> like that's, that's, like, a really classic story. Um, Brian Pillman fucking. 300 the- IQ play. Holy yeah. shit. That's so good. 300 IQ. And, like, Eric Bischoff, you fucking dumbass. Are you serious? How did you fall for that? Like, you actually have to physically release the guy. And it was that moment he knew he fucked up. He did. I mean, really fucking amazing shit. But yeah, so Brian Pillman has just 
like just recently absolutely fucking worked Eric Bischoff into actually firing him because he wanted to leave. Um, and now here he is in ECW, you know, oh my God, I can't believe that Brian Pillman's here. Uh, and Brian Pillman, who is just electric, you know, this, 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 this segment I think goes on a little bit too long and becomes a little bit too much, but like just electric, very charismatic. Uh, he cuts a, you know, a complete work shoot promo. He calls and he is, he is cursing up a storm here again, the CCW. So, uh, he is, you know, dropping uncensored F bombs. He calls Bischoff a piece of fucking shit. At one point, Joey Styles is like, okay, that's that's it, folks. We got to go to commercial. Brian Pillman, like, grabs the mic away from him. He says, no, I'm running this interview because I'm Brian fucking Pillman. Uh, and, you know, he continues to curse at Bischoff. And eventually, he uh, turns on the crowd. He starts calling the crowd smart marks. An early instance of a guy cutting like a work shoot promo where he starts using like insider terms on the, you know, like, oh, you know, this is this is for the hardcore fans who know what a mark is. Uh, he calls the crowd smart marks. He got, does this whole monologue where he says, you know, you want to know what a mark is? A guy, a mark is the guy who spends his last $20 on crack cocaine. <laughs> a, a mark is a guy who believes that OJ didn't do it. That was a great one. That was a top tier line. He says, all you sorry sons of bitches are marks. So I'm going to do the only appropriate thing for me to do. I'm going to yank out my <laughs> Johnson and piss right here in the middle of the ring. And he starts zipping down his fly. And Paul Heyman and a bunch of the guys get in and they stop. And they're like, dude, you literally, you cannot take your fucking penis out right here. In the All the while the crowd is chanting, let him piss. The first ever recorded let him piss chant. In pro wrestling, <laughs> we all remember where we were when the Fight Forever chant was first, you know, the, the Shinsuke Sami Zayn match. When we first heard the Fight Forever chant. We all remember where we were when we first heard the Let Him Piss chant right here at ECW CyberSlam 96. Uh, <laughs> the crowd is chanting, Let Him Piss. As uh, Paul Heyman, a bunch of security guys get in. Um, they haul Pillman off. Shane Douglas is in there. He gets the mic. He cuts a promo on Pillman. There's a worked spot where a fan who was a, actually a plant like starts yelling at Pillman, and Pillman grabs him and throws him into the ring and beats him up. He's like stabbing this fan with a fork like he's Abdullah the Butcher. And then eventually, uh, uh, Douglas chases him off. Uh, huge like, crowd is really reacts huge to this. We get the big EC dub chants. Um, and Shane Douglas, uh, as Pillman is getting carried off by 20 guys, he cuts a promo on Pillman. He says, get him out of here or I'll beat his fucking ass tonight. Get that WCW reject out of here. Crowd goes fucking wild for this. You know, it's crazy. Yeah, it's nuts. Um, yeah. And Pillman certainly does have that it factor. Like the guy, I, you just never knew with him. And like, he, he was like over in a way. That I think only two other people like in recent me and not even recent memory in my memory that have ever given over. And that's like CM Punk and Roddy Piper in that very much I like got 
very powerful Roddy vibes from him. Exactly. Very powerful Roddy vibes. And it's just like you don't know where he's going. And that's both incredible and terrifying. He's a Booker's worst nightmare because you never know what he's going to do. But on the flip side, if you're able to turn whatever he says into storyline, and so long as he stays on the path, you're going to be printing money because the guy, like everything he was saying, felt super believable coming from him. Yeah, I mean it's it's all work, but like this is like this is like one of the first great like real like you know we we say the term worked shoot or whatever. Like I, I hate like tossing around these fucking stupid ass insider terms or whatever, but like. This is like one of the first great like real like work shoot kind of promos that you'll see in pro wrestling, like where a guy is actually like tossing around insider terms and shit, which like I kind of generally don't like. When, and like especially can be overused and was quite frequently overused in WCW, especially in the later years of WCW. I think it's something you have to be very, very careful with, but at the time, this is like a pretty revolutionary thing to do, you know, um, and Brian Pillman, like you said, has this just kind of like really just purely chaotic charisma and chaotic energy that is honestly even watching this back. Twenty seven years later is captivating to see, you know, like you are instantly drawn into to everything he's doing and everything he's saying, because, again, like. He's saying it all with such just fucking conviction, you know, Mm -hmm. such and such power and charisma. It's it's fucking it's really stunning to watch. It's not something everyone can do either. Like you can't just have any Joe Schmo walk out there and start like cutting this kind of promo. No, Brian Pillman was one of the only guys who could cut this promo, if not the only guy who could cut this promo at the time, at least. He was like one of the only guys like like you said, like him, Roddy, Punk. I, I could buy it from any of them. Not many other guys. So, yeah. And it, uh, honestly, I think Stone Cold, maybe like he was much more like in character with it. I don't think his promos were necessarily as work shooty. That's, but that's he, not who that's not who but, Stone Cold was. But like um, I, for Stone Cold, I think of like Austin 316 just kicked your ass. I feel like that one was like more shot from the hip. No, but that I mean, that's that's a completely different kind of thing. Though. Yeah. Something like this, you know, where it's like kind of like attacking pro wrestling as a whole mm-hmm. you know what i mean like it's that's it, a completely different being topic. meta like being like, very meta stone cold like that was a great promo but it's also a pro wrestling promo yeah okay you know, this is kind of different you know uh again like like you i, I think like pillman is like maybe the only guy at the time who could do this mm-hmm. and, you know it, it's very, very transgressive, but also very, very revolutionary at the time. And again, he just has this really like whether whether you like this kind of shit or not. And I generally don't like it's kind of a it like it will still pull you in. You know, it will still completely pull you in. Uh, it's just it's got this real like just incredible chaotic energy coming from from Brian Pillman. Next up, the last of our like real squash matches to lead off this show. We've got uh, Bubba Ray Dudley accompanied by the whole Dudley clan. He's got Sign Guy Dudley, Chubby Dudley, D.W. Dudley, Big Dick Dudley is in there. He is taking on a guy named Mr. Hughes, who is a really big guy who wrestled in a tie and suspenders. And I believe later on trained a lot of guys that came out of like the Georgia area. 
Um, some pretty successful guys ended up being trained by Mr. Hughes, but very big guy. Um, this match is very quick. The honestly, the the pre-match, uh, like Bubba Ray Dudley like dance sequence, wild than the match. Um, which like anytime Bubba Ray Dudley is being an asshole on on fucking Twitter and taking fucking pro wrestling way too seriously, I think I'm just gonna reply with the fucking <laughs> uh, like video of him doing this fucking because <laughs> God, that guy pisses me off. Um, but yeah. Uh, Bubba Ray Dudley dances like an idiot in the ring for about two minutes. Um, Mr. Hughes cold cocks Bubba Ray from behind, uh, faces off with Big Dick Dudley, takes a swing at Big Dick, and then Big Dick Dudley comes uh, comes up from behind, hits him from with a crutch. Bubba Ray Dudley then comes off the top rope with one of the shittiest looking diving splashes I have ever seen. Bubba Ray Dudley gets the pin here in 36 seconds. Very, very quick match. Almost nothing happened. It didn't need to occur really at all. Uh, but there you go. You got your Dudleys. Got your Dudleys here in the show. Very weird seeing this kind of version of Bubble Ray. Like, yeah, I kind of knew. Like, he's he is a goofball, and like that was early. Uh, like yeah. uh, Dudley, uh, the was, Dudleys. That's but, kind of the thing. Like Bubble Ray Dudley is now like remembered as like one of like kind of the great tag team wrestlers of all time, and is now like. Like became like a super fucking serious like bad bad like hard, he was a hardcore guy like that was like, always he like came up as like a complete fucking comedy fucking goof off yeah like, like the whole gimmick was that like the like was that he had a stutter and people used to make fun of his stutter like he was a total comedy character it, it's weird it's so weird to see this version of him because like I I I I wax poetically about the Dudleys. I like I loved watching God. them like mid two thousands and then that they're run again at early twenty tens. The Dudleys were great. They were fantastic. And this version of it is just like he, yes, he has that kind of like goofball, sarcastic, like cartoony character vibe. But this version of it was just very Eugene. I think is how I would describe it. You're not totally off base with that. Like, uh, not it's not full. It's not fully there. But again, it was like, like the Bubba Ray Dudley character was played up as like, hey, look at this fucking moron. Well, let's all laugh at him, you know? Yeah. So very weird vibes there. Um, and, and you mentioned the splash. We we had uh, Vicky Rero do a splash on the last pay-per-view on our last podcast. And her splash was definitely better than Bubba's. It was. It genuinely was. <laughs> Vicky Rero had a better diving splash than Bubba. I mean. I bet if you asked Bubba Ray Dudley a few years later to do one, it would look a lot better. But shit, man. That looked like shit. Looked, looked bad. He just kind of like fucking, like he was like belly flopping into a pool. This guy, and he was like several years into his career by this point. And he's doing shit like that. God damn, man. Bubba Ray Dudley, Bully, Bully Ray in Impact recently, by the way, has been so fucking bad. I just am so tired of him. Fuck, it's terrible. Anyway, next up we have a tag match scheduled. It is supposed to be the Gangsters. Mustafa Saeed and New Jack, one of the all-time ECW characters. But New Jack has is apparently in jail. And according to Dave Meltzer, apparently, like this is not this is not a work. Apparently, New Jack was actually in jail. Yeah. Uh, so he can't make the show. Mustafa Saeed comes out and he's saying, Hey, like, I'll I'll wrestle by myself. They're planning on uh, having the gangsters versus this tag team called the Headhunters, which is just two. We see these guys come out in a little bit. 
two enormous men. Large ass men. I, I mean, like huge fucking guys. Um, Mustafa Saeed saying, hey, like I'll I'll wrestle this match on my own. I don't need a partner. Joey Styles, as he does all the time throughout the show, takes this as an opportunity to lob grenades at WWF and WCW. He's like, yeah, I can think of a few tag teams that Mustafa Saeed could beat by himself. Uh, the Smoking Guns, the American Males. You know, you get the picture. Uh, complete fucking... Fuck, Joey, Fuck Styles is Joey Styles is a mark. He is, he is <laughs> such a fucking mark. Um, this guy... Da- so uh, the Headhunters have a manager named Damian Kane who comes down with a woman uh, named Lady Alexandra who is dressed like Xena, warrior princess. Uh, she comes down and cuts a promo on Mustafa uh, Saeed. And he says, like, hey, like, I heard about New Jack. We don't need to do this match. I can actually, you sound like you probably need a job right now. I can give you a job. You can, you know, shine the headhunter's shoes. You can do our bitch work. And then Mustafa Saeed replies with this just, <laughs> just classic line here from Mustafa Saeed. Uh, the, just pure pandering to the crowd. He goes, yeah, I need a job. I need a hand job. (laughs) Obviously every single mutant in the crowd goes crazy for that line. Uh, (laughs) Christ. It is so shamelessly done that I laughed at it. Like I know it's, it's just such a cheap joke, but I, I, I popped me. He's like, no, I can go on my own. You know, Mustafa Saeed beats this guy up and throws him out, whips him to the barricade, but then the headhunters show up and boy, are these guys fucking big. Uh, they gang up on him. They hit Mustafa with this superplex diving splash combo. Damian Kane gets on the mic. You know, they, they send Mustafa Saeed on his way. They say, Hey, let that be a lesson to you. Is there any tag team in ECW bad enough to face the headhunters? Oh boy, there is. It's the Nazi twin folks. They're back. Ron and Don Harris are here in this, in this, uh, in this time in ECW, they are the bruise brothers. Ron and Don, the Nazi twins, who, God, these these guys got more of a career out of just being large and being twins uh, than, like, anybody. Like, I mean, these guys sucked for, like, 20 straight years and got were, like, in every fucking big promotion in the world. Um, I will say this. Big boys fighting and brawling around ringside appeared to be exactly what these fans wanted to see out of these guys. Because uh, they were they were into it. They were hooting and hollering. We got chair spots, blah, 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 all that stuff. What, it, the finish, though, kind of goes over like a wet fart. One of these headhunters, and I mean, these guys were 400-plus pounds. Huge. One of these headhunters hits a crazy moonsault. I on. I was like, wow. I was, I was like, okay. You look at these guys, and you're like, okay. They're like the Big Daddy V types. Yeah. I mean, very much Big Daddy V type body types from these guys. And he just pulls out a picture perfect moonsault. Gorgeous moonsault from this enormous. I was like, holy shit. What the fuck? Um, Yeah, he hits this amazing moonsault at the exact same time that uh, one of the Nazi twins hits a big boot and, and, uh, you know, takes one of the other guys out. and there's a simultaneous pin, one headhunter pinning uh, one of the Nazi twins and one Nazi twin pinning one of the headhunters. They do a simultaneous pin. They both, like the referee counts three and then says, all right, like nobody kicks out. 
And then he says, all right, Nazis win. And then it's like, wait, what? The other guy pinned him too at the exact same time. They say, hey, Nazi twins win. Uh, so the Nazis win in uh, three minutes and 54 seconds. Unfortunately, this is far from the last we will see of the Nazis on this show. Yeah, uh, man. Again, just uh, honestly, watch this match for the moonsault alone. Uh, like, objectively. Oh, yeah. I was, that was one of the, like, like holy shit spots on the show. For me. Uh, and, like, I... I don't need to say too much about this match because again, it's not a match where a lot happens. It's just, I hate the finish. The finish was really dumb. Like you had the headhunter hit the big move. Let like let them win at that point. The guy just pulled out a freaking moonsault. Uh, but yeah, the also Bruce Brothers. That name is wasted on these two. That is such the a Bruce great. Brothers. That is such a great tag team name, and it's wasted on these two. How about the Bludgeon Brothers? No, they could be the Bludgeon Brothers. But uh, Bruce Brothers, because like Blues Brothers. That I'm a I'm a Blues Brothers mark too. Was the obviously that was the fucking the thing wasted. I feel like you know the, the Nazi twins. You know they probably use the bruise brothers name like how long did they use it for a very long time i'm gonna look it up right now i have no idea they have like 17 different names and they're all i know terrible they, except they, for this they, one blue brothers they were the fucking harris brothers yeah bruise brothers there's like 17 separate names that they oh have. no apparently they use this name name for a long time yeah i, I thought so like yeah, they they, the, they even used the Blue Brothers, except it was uh, BLU. Yeah, they did. That's that's what I was saying. That's they they had that gimmick in WWF for a little while. Wasted. Yeah, so they use this name for a long. I guess now. Yeah, I guess they, I guess they have a claim to that one. That sucks. But yeah, uh, watch watch this one for at least for the Headhunter uh, Moonsault. Headhunters uh, don't look like they've really wrestled since the pandemic, but they wrestled up until like a few years ago. Jeez, really? Uh, Holy shit. Their, their last recorded tag team match, at least according to the cage match database, which is not comprehensive, was actually in 2018. Uh, GCW brought them in to do a, a match for their tag titles in 2018 on a match that uh, also had Darby Allen on it. like Pre-AEW Darby Allen huh. on that show. So that's uh, that's dope. That was back when there was like way more just kind of like straight up deathmatch shit um, back then. So, yeah. Um, next up, we have a another promo segment. We've got Tommy Dreamer, uh, the innovator of violence, the heart and soul of ECW is in with his wife, Beulah. Or I guess they weren't married at the time, but they became married. Um, he cuts this promo, you know, Raven, you know, him and Raven had the long legendary feud. Partially because Tommy Dreamer stole uh, Beulah from Raven. Um, and, you know, Raven has been, you know, trying to kill him forever. Tommy Dreamer cuts a promo. He says, you know, Raven separated my shoulder, blah, blah, blah. Raven comes out with his goons, Stevie Richards, the Blue Meanie, uh, his valet at the time, Kimona. Raven says, if you thought that separated shoulder was payback, uh, you're sadly mistaken. As he's cutting this promo, Shane Douglas and the Nazi twins get into the ring seemingly to back up Tommy. Uh, Raven then implies that he's going to cut Tommy Dreamer's dick off. And then he says, Tommy Dreamer, prepare to die. So we're ratcheting up the fucking intensity here. Um, then the Nazis, turns out the Nazis, not good guys. Um, they jump Tommy from behind and they all, everyone all stomps Tommy down. 
and they crotch Tommy Dreamer multiple times on the corner post, and they leave Tommy Dreamer laying here. Yeah, I mean, again, I am a sucker for a good Raven promo, and this was a very good Raven promo. Um, it made sense too. Like it's a story that I think people can kind of rationalize. It's not like anything super complex or exclusive to wrestling guy stole your girlfriend. You're kind of pissed about it. You're going to cut off the guy's dick. It's also funny though. Like, like obviously like, like Raven and Tommy dreamer is like kind of like one of the iconic ECW feuds along with Raven and the Sandman. Mm -hmm. And both of them are like complete fucking like insane. Like when you actually read like, 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 go back and watch or like read what the storyline was. It's like the most ridiculous, like just soap opera bullshit of all time. <laughs> like, it's like, it's like Raven and Tommy Dreamer hate each other, but it's like, oh yeah, we were, we, we were, we were rivals in summer camp and I was like, like <laughs> growing up and, shit like that. and then like fucking like the thing with the Sandman, it's like Raven kidnaps his wife and child and brainwashes them. It's like complete like soap opera ridiculous bullshit. I love it. Look at the bloodline. Bloodline proves soap opera shit's the best shit. Yeah, we love it. We love it. We love it, folks. It's absolute wrestling takedown federation type shit. But it's it's it, I don't know. It's fun. And we all we like people remember it really well um, because Raven was a guy who could sell shit like that. Not everybody can sell shit like that, but Raven could. Uh and that's why this stuff works and is so fondly remembered all these years later as like really iconic stuff uh, from from ECW's heyday. Uh, so, yeah, next up, we're back to wrestling. We have a match between J.T. Smith, whose gimmick and I it's always I, I gimmicks like this. I don't care. They always make me pop. He was uh, he was a member of the FBI, the full blooded Italians. Uh the, the full-blooded Italians stable. Um, but he's a black guy. <laughs> he's, like, he's a black guy who's pretending to be an Italian guy. Legally, I must stand. Doesn't matter. I, I just always love shit like that. Whatever just always makes me laugh. Because we talked about before, uh, Italians are the last ethnic group that we're allowed to make fun of, folks. <laughs> Real yeah. Italian, fake Italian, I'm standing you at either way. And boy, do we. Um, yeah, so JT Smith comes out, he's waving an Italian flag in the ring, a little, like a little Italian flag. Um, Axel Rotten comes out, he's facing, so he's facing Axel Rotten, of course, the longtime tag partner of the great Balls Mahoney, rest in peace to Balls, who we do not get on the show, missed, missed Balls here, folks. Um, JT Smith jumps Axel from behind as he makes his entrance, and just a lot of weapon spots, you know, we got all the stuff, you know, we got the fucking chair shots, we got your beer can, we got your uh, yeah, Axel Rotten breaks what appears to be a ruler over his head. Um, at one point, very randomly, they cut away to show uh, former heavyweight boxing champion Leon Spinks in the crowd watching, uh, very befuddled at what he is seeing here. Um and then JT turns him around, you know, gets some offense, hits a splash off the middle rope. Um, and then this kind of weird finish here, JT gets a chair, uh, climbs up to the top rope, um, and then just like falls off. And then like Axel Rotten is like looking around all confused. And then, uh, JT gets up and just blasts him with the chair and they're like selling like, oh, he like faked him out by intentionally like falling off the top rope and eating shit. And then like he got Axel to let his guard down and then blast him with a chair and killed him. 
Um, and that's the finish of the match. Uh, JT Smith gets the pin and wins here in uh, six minutes and 12 seconds. I actually went back to watch that. I At first I thought, like, did they really just kind of like pivot off of that cell as like he faked? Like he actually faked it. Yeah. I looked back. I think he did. So like, I guess what could have happened was that he literally just fucking fell over and they were like, hey, we'll just like play this off. I think he actually planned to do that, though. I think that was intentional. I I do, too. That is the impression I got. Um, But yeah, like I can understand it and points for creativity. But that shit sucked. <laughs> that was not that was not not a, not a good finish, not a good match. JT sold the hell out of a clothesline from Ryan, which, okay, cool. Ryan had some really huge chops that just echoed throughout the arena, which, you know, I'm a big fan of the big chops. And, you know, legally I have to stand another Italian. So JT Smith, I mean, I'm happy he won. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Full-blooded Italian JT Smith uh, gets the dub here. Yeah, I mean, there's there's really not a whole lot. Um, He, he basically, like, JT Smith wasn't around very long. Like, he retired. Like he he was in ECW for like this last few weeks. Really, he's like like a lot like up through like '96 or whatever. Like he got kicked out of FBI, and then like that was like basically the end of it. Like he basically just like quit wrestling after that. But uh, he did very memorably make an appearance with all the other members of the FBI at ECW One Night Stand 2005. One of my favorite shows of all time. Uh, he showed up. With like all the fucking uh, FBI guys during the uh, Little Guido uh, Super Crazy match, um, which I remember that is a or the, like the three way dance it was like Little Guido Super Crazy and Tajiri, which yep. Tajiri did the moonsault off the balcony at, at Hammerstein. Uh, he showed up, which was like one of his first wrestling appearances in like quite a long time, and I remember like thinking that was really cool every like every time I watched that show. I need to resurrect FBI. Yeah, they need to. Yeah, they need to bring back FBI. I, I think that. They're bringing back the they brought back the LWO, folks. So what is stopping them from getting the fucking FBI back? Tony D'Angelo. Yes. They got Stax. Stax, who's not actually Italian. Doesn't matter. Pass for it. Who else is Italian? I have no Uh, idea. Could they get Braun Breaker in that group? Fabian Eichner is Italian, but he's already in a stable. Ooh, um, you could do a story, though, there you can like the FBI is trying to recruit Fabian Eichner to or what's his name? Giovanni Vinci, Giovanni yeah. Vinci, um, Giovanni Vinci, they're trying to get him to leave Imperium and join the FBI. I just don't know who else is who else is Italian in WWE right now, because uh, like you have Tony D, but like the other two dudes in the fucking D'Angelo family, like including Cole Carter, who's not there anymore. I don't think either of them are actually Italian. They just kind of put them there. I don't care. Like, hey, you're Italian now, folks. It's better to fake Italian than fake your uh, fake other things. That's true. Uh, but <laughs> still, uh, they, they 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 should bring the FBI back. I feel like people would enjoy that. I, a Tony D, a Tony D'Angelo could absolutely get that over too. I don't know. I mean, Little Guido's still around. Like he still wrestles. I'm pretty sure. I know he trains. I don't know. He would 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 they have to bring him back? Like would they have to bring Nunzio back? As the old head mentor, I could see that. Like just make make him overly serious. Make him the like make him the straight man of the group. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe maybe they might have to do something with this. They don't have to do something with this. This might this might be an idea here. Do some research on NXT guys that are Italian. I'm gonna look. I'm I'm literally gonna do that right after this. <laughs> Maybe while you're talking on this next on this next match, I'm going to like go through the WWE roster and see if anyone's Italian. But th- 
match. <laughs> but this is the Cronus match, David. I know, but there's not a lot of good Cronus shit in this match, to be quite honest with you. Okay, so, yes, the Cronus match. So, it is uh, a six-man or woman, six-person intergender dog collar match is next up. Uh, we we do have a uh, a brawling segment after the JT Smith match where he fights this guy named Hack Myers. I don't care about this at all. Um, it is the tag champions, the Eliminators, Perry Saturn and John Cronus. Uh, they are tagging with Stevie Richards against the classic ECW tag team, the Pitbulls, along with Francine, who, for whatever reason... Uh, Stevie Richards has been just targeting her and has been kicking her face off at every single opportunity. She wants revenge on Stevie Richards for just, uh, uh, bullying her and, uh, just abusing the shit out of her all the time. Um, so it is a, a six person dog collar match. They tie together Pitbull number one with, uh, Pitbull number one is the one with Cronus. Pitbull number two is the one with Saturn and they're going to, tied together Stevie Richards and Francine as they're doing this, the always classy ECW crowd. She's a whore chance towards Francine, who has literally, literally done nothing here. Um, literally done nothing. Like, it's literally on the babyface team here. Um, but yeah, uh, very interesting here. Again, the always classy, the always classy uh, ECW crowd. Um, before they link up Stevie and Francine. Uh, Stevie blasts her with a super kick, the Stevie kick, and she dies. I mean, she immediately is 15 minutes long and she is laying there the whole match until the very end when she fin- factors into the finish. Um, so like now it's three on two and the pit bulls are getting beaten down three on two. Stevie hands out a bunch of super kicks. So we end up brawling to the outside and, and the rest of this match Really takes place on the outside mostly, so you know it's 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 all the weapon spots. There, I do I did got a big uh, kick out of the spot where they had like a bunch of fans at ringside holding up chairs for a uh, pitbull number two to like slam Perry Saturn's head into. Like they're looking <laughs> down the line, like here, 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 like chair, chair, chair. He's like slamming people's head, slamming Perry Saturn's head into these chairs. Uh, I got a big kick out of that. I thought that was very funny. Um, they end up making their way over towards uh, the balcony, like Joey Styles' commentary perch. The big spot of the show, or one of the big spots of the show, Perry Saturn does a moonsault off of the commentary perch to Pitbull number two below. Big reaction from the crowd. Also up there, Pitbull number one suplexes uh, John Cronus through a table. I did like, I thought it was very funny how um, at the start of this sequence, like when they go, when they first go into the crowd, you see um, Perry Saturn throw Pitbull number two into the, like over the, over the, uh, over the barricade. And he just lands flat on some dude wearing a Confederate, uh, Confederate flag t-shirt and sends Confederate flag t-shirt guy just lit, sprawling onto his fucking ass. Good. <laughs> I like to believe that Perry Saturn did that on purpose. Maybe, maybe not. I hope so. Um, but yeah. So we end up m- making our way back to the ring. 
Pitbull number one hits a top rope Frankensteiner on John Cronus, goes for the pin. Stevie breaks it up by hitting him with a frying pan. Uh, We get a bunch of spots. The Eliminators hand out double power bombs to both members of the Pitbulls. Francine, who has been laying there dead for over 10 minutes, they end up getting her, pick her up, going to uh, like hit her with one. But Pitbull number one saves her. The Pitbulls, you know, hand out like they they get a big comeback. They hit uh, a big middle rope power like they hit middle rope power bombs on both of the Eliminators, and then they hit some kind of like big like cutter power bomb combo on Stevie. Then the video like glitches out for a second on the Peacock uh, stream, so you don't really see like I think it cuts ahead just like a little bit, but. They hit the cutter powerbomb combo on Stevie Richards, and then it immediately cuts to uh, Pitbulls and the Eliminators are all fighting. And then you see Francine like climb over and crawl on top of uh, Stevie Richards and Francine gets the pin. And Francine, who uh, did nothing except like get super kick and lay there, uh, gets the pin and wins the match for the babyface team uh, in 14 minutes and three seconds. Afterwards, uh, the heels uh, beat everyone up. They hand out total elimination. Uh, one of my favorite tag team finishers of all time, the high-low kicks that, of course, uh, Bobby Fish and Kyle O'Reilly, uh, Kyle O'Reilly later blatantly stole uh, the total elimination. Um, they hand out uh, the total elimination to everybody, and then that's the end of the match. Yeah, this was... Uh... Again, finally a match that had a little bit of meat on the bone, even though it's kind of like a mixed bag still. Um, but yeah, starting off, like the open of the match where you just see Cronus, Cronus doing a split. Just that alone. Like that man should not be doing a split. That Cronus breaks my brain. Specimen, a guy who was a just a big dude who was so much like like looser and more athletic than you ever could have expected. And like, was just doing really cool shit. I mean, I, I, I'm, you know, I, I talk, I'm shameless Cronus fan here. Yeah. I, I just, every time I watch him wrestle, I'm just like, God damn, this guy's fucking cool. I, I know you were marking out cause they explored the space. They, they, uh, you know, went around the arena. You got oh, to see, you got to see a lot of the littering and trash on the floor too, of, of these, of these like heathens, like the, that place, Oh boy, I you you did not want to be on the floor there. That was gross. You don't want to sh- anywhere around the East <laughs> WWE. That place is absolutely radioactive. I can uh, he- I can hear my shoes sticking to the floor. To this day, it is utterly radioactive. <laughs> um, but you know, uh, the story of this match really was like Stevie Richards just being an absolute shithead heel that you want to see get his comeuppance and beat the shit. And he did. He got it. Francine even pinned him. And that's kind of what it needed to be. The Eliminators, as like they're the tag champs, they don't look weak because Stevie got pinned. Uh, and then, you know, they do. A, they beat the shit out of everyone. And that's kind of the it's all it needed to be. It was, yeah. a, it, it was nice to have something that resembled a normal ish wrestling match even if it had like a lot of the ecw tropes yeah i mean there's some some big spots here that people were into um and you know it's 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 a decent enough time i i i do i i much prefer to watch uh much prefer to watch the eliminators in an actual like 
more regular wrestling match because it's it's more fun to see them really like fully unleashed, you know, getting to kind of do all of this shit. We talk about Perry Saturn all the time. Um, one of the coolest move sets ever. A guy that like literally everything he has ever done has always looked amazing. Um, it just like you know, a guy that like watch this dude with a fucking like like a like with a notepad just writing down everything he does. Steal that, steal that, steal that. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I, I, I literally fucking do that. Dude. I have like, so <laughs> many, I have so many Perry Saturn videos on my phone of stuff. That's like, yeah, I want to do this eventually. You know, <laughs> like I have like, like I literally like, like 30% of my phone storage is Perry Saturn videos right now. And I'm sure like there's f- like every, for every move you steal, there's like five moves that he does. Like, yeah, I don't have the athleticism to do that. Oh, of course. But still like really cool. Really cool. Love it. Um, so I, again, love watching these guys wrestle. I, I, I again prefer to see them in more of a, a, a regular match, but you do get some some neat, neat high spots. You get to see hit the, uh, you get to see some cool moves. You know, mm-hmm. um, it's you can have a worse time. I, I just, you know, like the whole thing with with Francine being there. It, it you know, it's it, it makes it a little bit more of an overbooked gimmick match than what I want to see mm-hmm. with with the guys involved because. Love the Eliminators. Pitbulls were good. Stevie, I'm a big fan of all of his work. Really, really have always enjoyed him. Um, again, really great at that. Uh, that just being like, especially in ECW, just this little fucking smarmy fucking shithead little heel bitch when he was like Raven's lackey. Real Dominic Mysterio vibes. Re- like just a guy that you fucking hated, man. It just was It was good at his job. Very like, good. Also, by the way, for the back to the FBI uh, idea, yeah. are you are you thinking are you on the same lines as me here? A- Ariana Grace, Santino's daughter. Well, yes, 100 percent. But I was thinking like the two people that I can really think of who are of Italian descent and that are on the main roster are oh, main roster. OK, are DIY folks. Oh, and Tomas- actually, I'm no, I don't I don't want that for those two. I, maybe I know, Ch- maybe Champa, maybe Champa on it either. But. I mean, if they're going to do it, it's going to have to be those two guys, folks. I think Champa works better than Johnny, oddly enough. It doesn't work with either of them, but DIY, FBI, folks, more and more people are saying. People are saying, folks. So it could it could happen. It could happen. Get Nunzio. You get Nunzio back. You get DIY in there. This is what you do with Santino's daughter. She's been in NXT for a while, you know. Who knows? Who knows? Who knows? Who knows? Maybe they bring back Santino. He's back around. He's an impact now. He's back around wrestling. You know? Maybe get Santino back in here. Who knows? I, I'm actually shocked that they never did an FBI thing with Santino. Yeah, that's weird. Well, I don't think Santino ever needed it. I think Santino has his no, own entity. Still, like, his, he was the Italian. I don't know. So, next up, we cut straight to the ring. The reason for the season, baby. For the World TV Championship, it is the champion two cold Scorpio, the two and a half marks podcast favorite taking on Sabu. And you know exactly what you're going to get here. You're going to get like moves after moves after moves that are like 15 years ahead of the fucking game. Uh, And this is a match that is in the purest sense of the term, a fucking spot fest. I mean, it is just 
move after move after move. There's not much of a story. Like, there's not much psychology that makes sense. 95% of the time, it's like one guy hits a big move, and then the guy taking the move is the first guy up, and then he hits a big move. Like, it's literally them just going back and forth. There's, like, no transitions at all that make any sense. Not really much of a story, but goddamn do these motherfuckers hit the hell out of some cool moves. Um, So, yeah, pure spot fest. Not really much of a sense talking about, like, a story or, like, really what's, like, like a flow or structure. You can just talk about some of the cool moves that happened. Uh, Okay. Uh, Immediately, Sabu gets a chair and starts doing his chair shit. Throws Scorpio into the crowd. Does a flip dive off the chair into the crowd. Uh, we get a good fuck it. We get like a bunch of stuff on the chair. Uh, Scorpio hits a running bulldog on the chair. Goes to another one. Sabu reverses him. Puts him off the chair. Dives off of it. Clotheslines him to the floor. Hits the guardrail. Uh, springboard leg drops. We've got uh, one, one little thing that made me pop was um, earlier in the uh show jt smith had come out with like a metal pizza pan that apparently is still just sitting at ringside no one got the pizza pan <laughs> scorpio is like or on the floor scorpio walks by sees this pizza pan that's still sitting there and he's like hey all right and then just hits it hits sabu with it <laughs> like like jt smith just leaving shit ringside um sabu hits a slingshot somersault leg drop scorpio comes back with a huge moonsault uh, Sabu, Arabian face buster, Arabian press moonsault onto the chair, uh, Scorpio with a tombstone pile driver, Vader bomb, uh, fucking all this stuff, man. Sunset flip power bomb to the middle rope, uh, a top rope victory roll, which no way I would want to take that. That would crunch the <laughs> shit back. Dear God. Um, Suicide, like this real fucking crunching ass, like sandwiching ass, like suicide dive up against the guardrail from Sabu. That probably didn't feel good. Um, Sabu also hits an acai moonsault to the floor where he like very clearly hits both of his legs on the guardrail when he lands, which is very fucking dangerous. Uh, but he ends up being fine, apparently. Um biggest spot where the crowd really went wild for was the one where Sabu sets up a table like over the guardrail, um, puts Scorpio on it, does like the triple jump flip dive over the top rope, over the guardrail. Scorpio misses and Sabu splats through the table. Um, Crowd went nuts for it. Um, Scorpio hits a... diving leg drop onto a chair all the way up on that leg drop too it got so high so high uh sabu then throws a chair at him hits a top rope frankensteiner we're now uh introduced hey there's a 30 minute time limit clock is really fucking ticking down now scorpio hits the 450 splash but doesn't go for the pin which is just a dummy move um but as a champion, he is a champion. Like he is a champion. He doesn't need to win. He can retain with a with a time limit draw. Um, so he hits the 450, doesn't go for the pin, grabs a chair as the announcer calls one minute remaining, tries to do a diving splash with the chair, misses. Sabu puts the chair on Scorpio, middle rope springboard leg drop, then a slingshot somersault leg drop, but Sabu 
sells the leg, can't cover immediately, goes for the pin. Finally, Scorpio kicks out as we hit the time limit draw. So 30-minute time limit draw. Crowd gives them a standing ovation for this absolute display of athleticism and crazy moves that we have just seen over the previous half hour. Um, Two Cold Scorpio, as the champion, retains his title. Crowd does uh, chance five more minutes. They are not getting five more minutes. I don't know if these guys had five more minutes of wrestling left in them. They had already done every single move that they can possibly think of <laughs> in the previous 30 minutes. And yeah, that's it. A standout match of the night. A real set and forget it. You throw it on there. You just sit back and enjoy. It was so, yeah. again. This is a real turn your fucking brain off. Don't think too much about how none of this shit makes any sense. Watch these guys do cool shit in the match. Just, just think about if Rick, like uh, I had some real like man. Imagine if they had like Ricochet back then here. God, Ricochet like I mean like if you put Ricochet in, in any era, any era previous to the era that he wrestled in, like he would literally cause people to uh, he would cause like fatalities. <laughs> people would lose their minds too hard. Oh my god, it was very like everything was good. Again, just a total spot fest. You don't need a story with those two guys. It was just like, we are going to throw everything at each other because we want this title. And that was it. That's all he needed it to be. Um, very fitting that we have Sa- uh, Sabu on uh, as he just appeared on pay-per-view this weekend as well. Yeah. Uh, I don't, a lot of mixed reactions to that whole thing and that whole match. The whole Adam Cole as a white meat babyface thing has been a mixed reaction. It's not maybe not the best way to use Adam Cole, but... Uh, I, I don't give a shit. I still popped seeing Sabu. Yes. It's Sabu. What the fuck? Yeah. How, fun, don't fucking hate on Sabu. Um, it, yeah. No, super fun match. Uh, it, it It's very like jarring too. just as like see on this grainy film quality, how scarred up Sabu already is. And it's 1996. Oh my God, he is covered in fucking scars. Insane. Like everything up and down his arms on his back. His chest, it's insane. It's just uh, utterly incredible. I mean, I also- he, had, he had done time in fucking FMW doing those crazy death matches, doing all that shit, man. I, mean, I also yeah. love how Scorpio's pants are designed for his leg slapping. Of course, yes. <laughs> I, he's got, he's kind of got the like, like. Not quite assless like chaps. Brutus, a little like the Brutus the Barber beefcake pants, you know what I mean? <laughs> like. But yeah, they definitely got like like right in the leg slap zone. They got a <laughs> nice, they got nice holes carved out, you know. Yeah, very, very true, very true. Uh, that was my first thought the moment I saw those trunks. But also, like a couple like, other things that stood believe, out. I can't believe the young bucks don't have tr- like. <laughs> that, that, it'd be perfect for them. Scorp also. Uh, Actually, Scorp and Sabu. Did you notice how dirty their uh, gear got as this match went longer and longer? Oh yeah. Oh, oh, gross, 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 gross. Uh, clean your shit, please. That's how you get skin infections. Oh, my God, dude. Uh, I mean, did you see? I was I was thinking about this. Like, I, I don't know. Nothing like grosses me out more than like as someone, especially as someone who has like my gear is predominantly white. You know what I mean? Like I see shit like that and it like gives me a fucking like it, it, like it makes me break out and fucking cry. Makes your skin crawl. Like I hate like. Like the um, I don't know if you saw it all the the like they had the impact pay-per-view the other night um, and the main event was Steve Macklin and PCO and like at anything goes match and it was really great. 
But like literally by the end of the match, like like go watch it. The uh the fucking ring looks like a fucking construction site. It is the dirtiest ring I have ever seen because they done mul- they did multiple like fucking cinder block spots like uh. the, like where they break shit like it was like the most disgusting fucking ring I've ever seen in my life. Mm-hmm. I was like that that shit like like this it made me think of that a little bit honestly that's a little bit like if it's debris from like a wrestling match that's fine this i think this is like a, just a case of years and years of grime that have never been properly like taken out of the floor because they were on the floor a ton in this match you think that paul Heyman is paying to get his fucking canvas dry cleaned no he, shit he can't even pay his <laughs> fucking workers dude like it, the only time it's acceptable for me to see the staining on white gear is if it's blood. Honestly, that's the only time that's I. Th- why, that's why when you when you see someone come out who doesn't normally, someone who doesn't normally wear white, if they come out wearing white, you know that motherfucker. <laughs> because because yeah. that shit sells, but like when it's grime and dirt, it's just oh, like you said, hives. I, yeah. I I do not like having grime on my hands and to work a 30-minute wrestling match where you're likely covered in sweat, uh, spilled soda, popcorn, and other God knows how many viruses. Yeah. Uh, I, I could not. I, I am not as mentally strong as either Too Cold Scorpio or Sabu, and God bless them for putting their bodies on the line for this match because this was incredible. Yeah. Again, like I said, as a wrestler who wears white gear disgusting horrifying they even got a civil ovation from these uh from these ecw heads it was a civil like a nice round of applause yes i mean again this is this is the kind of shit that like you're not seeing this shit in wwf no you're not seeing this in wcw these guys are doing crazy moves and that's all this match is again is crazy moves like we said it is a turn your brain off and just enjoy the show type move don't think about anything don't try to critique it none of that lame shit just watch it and have fun type of match and it is it is crazy and it is like pretty revolutionary you know again you're not seeing stuff like this in the united states except for here you know you're not seeing that um these guys are setting a, a template for you know what the indie style is going to evolve into uh you know a generation two generations from now that's what more like people are going to be doing this shit um scorpio doing the 450 how many guys were doing a 450 none john cronus was doing a 450 let me fucking tell you <laughs> but like not many people had seen moves like that you know i mean sabu doing these incredibly reckless dives you know like you know, doing them in a way that doing them in a way that almost looks safe. Like that's how experienced he was with that shit. Like every time Sabu did, I'm like, oh yeah, that's an expert doing it. But even Sabu, like the way Sabu does these dives, like even today, people aren't doing them like that. No, you know, this guy, the guy was just a rare breed of human being. And it's honestly crazy that he's still alive (laughs) to be honest with you. (laughs) Like it's, like Sabu living past 60 years old, he's 58, you know, so I guess he's still got a couple years to go. But like, it's kind of crazy. He's still alive. I'm very glad he is. Uh, he he walked. He looked like he walked pretty normal, too, for a guy that's seen car crashes. He went through a fucking table the other, you know, he did a dive off the top rope through a table. Again, it was not a it was not a great dive, but he is a 58 year old man who has 
killed himself seven billion times. So uh, you take what you can get there. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, a, a guy that I think really, you know, a, a lot of people remember Sabu as this crazy death-defying guy from ECW, and you know, for us, for our generation, we remember Sabu from like our first exposure to Sabu was the ECW relaunch, right? When they brought in all like a lot of the older ECW stars and had him on the show and everything. And, you know, he was always a guy that stood out because he did different stuff from everybody else, you know, but a guy that I think really deserves more credit as a huge trailblazer for like pushing the 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 art of pro wrestling forward changing what it would be and like being a huge huge uh influence on just where the style of pro wrestling would go a guy who was many years ahead of his time and honestly still to this day might be ahead of his time like like ahead of where we are now yeah so. no like if sabu is more than just like any guy, you could go back and watch any death match, and I think you watch death matches today or GCW stuff today, and not find guys as good as a worker. Full stop. Not just the guy that's going to do death defying stunts, but a worker, at half as good as Sabu. Yeah, the guy was just a can't a can't miss type of star in his time. Like you just you know, you had to tune in to see Sabu. There was no there was nobody else like him. Next up, speaking of guys where there's there's nobody like him, never been another guy like Cactus Jack in the history of the world, let me fucking tell you. Cactus Jack is taking on Shane Douglas. We've had like one or two Shane Douglas appearances already on this show. Now we actually get to see him wrestle. Um, and we get what actually is, a, I thought, a pretty fun one. Um, so Cactus Jack is actually pretty much wrestling as a heel. Uh, he is a few weeks away from going to the WWF. Um, and he had sort of taken on it was sort of a funny juxtaposition of what we, you know, know about Mick Foley and, you know, how Mick Foley made his career and what the Cactus Jack character was like for so long. Had kind of taken on this like started to get heat as a heel with this sort of like anti hardcore gimmick in ECW. And he comes out sort of dressed a little like, like a more clean version of like the Mankind costume. He's wearing like a, a shirt and tie and all that shit. Uh, that, that, the tie and all that really comes off like immediately. Like Shane Douglas rips that all off right as the match starts. They go to the floor and, and, and Cactus Jack, you know, he, he, he uses weapons even though the, he's kind of been an anti-hardcore type of guy. He's using weapons here. Hits him with a crutch, blah, blah, blah. Um, then Shane Douglas turns him around. He crotches him, dives off the top rope with a Macho Man Randy Savage style double axe handle to the floor. A lot of ball sack based offense here. Shane Douglas really trying to to destroy Mick, Mick Foley's penis. Um, he suplexes him into the first row. Then huge spot for Shane Douglas. Never a high flyer, really. But he does a massive dive off the top rope over the guardrail into the crowd on Mick Foley. Uh, puts uh, Mick Foley's leg in a chair back in the ring, hits it with a Vader bomb. Then Cactus Jack turns it around, hits him with a chair. Uh, does a lot of work. They, they're they're talking about how Shane Douglas had recently injured his larynx, and we see a lot of offense here from Cactus Jack, like going after the throat, 
slingshots him into the bottom rope. He's like elbowing him in the throat. Um, he puts Shane Douglas underneath a table on the outside and then does kind of like a rolling senton, like somersault senton type thing onto the table. Um, then one of the, uh, did you see what he did? Did he like spit his gum into the air and then catch it? I missed like, it. In his mouth. He did something like that and it was crazy. Uh, cause it looked like it very much looked like that's what he did was like, he spit his gum into the air and then caught it in his mouth, like spit it like way up into the air, which is incredible feat of, of coordination from Mick Foley. If that is what happened again, more, uh, more chair spots. He dropped toehold Shane into a chair, stuffs him with a pile driver, but Shane kicks out, just really beats the dog shit out of Shane Douglas for a little while. But then the finish of the match comes the referee, Brian Hildebrand slips a foreign object to Shane Douglas, which turns out to be a pair of handcuffs. Shane Douglas blasts Cactus Jack with the handcuffs. He handcuffs Cactus Jack's hands behind his back and then just kills him with a long series of chair shots. He gets on the mic. He's trying to make Mick say, I quit. He won't do it. Eventually, Cactus Jack starts calling out for Mikey Whipwreck who had kind of been his bitch for a while. And then, and then Mick Foley had, had turned on him. Uh, but he's calling out for Mikey Whipwreck to, uh, to save him. Mikey comes out, um, as Shane. So Shane Douglas puts, uh, cactus Jack in the figure four leg lock. Then Mikey Whipwreck comes out he grabs a chair. There's like a moment like, Oh, who is he going to hit with the chair? He kills cactus Jack. Legitimate murder. A legit chair murder, unprotected, right to the fucking head. I mean, like, Mick takes, like, ten chair shots to the fucking head here, um, if not more, and knocks Cactus Jack out with his chair, and Shane Douglas pins Cactus Jack in the figure four leg lock and wins the match, 15 minutes and 37 seconds. Yeah, I wasn't super jazzed with this one. I mean, there's a few cool things. Uh, you know, Shane leaping out to the crowd, just a, a sight to behold because it's not something that, like, you typically associate with him. Um, and then obviously Mikey Whipwreck literally baseball swinging this chair at a downed Mick Foley and destroying his head like he's a zombie. Also points for Shane Douglas using handcuffs normally, not this cute. I'm going to handcuff him to the ropes thing. I'm going to put his hands behind his back and handcuff him points for that. But like, yeah, this was a match where it started off with Shane Douglas beating his ass. It started, it went to Cactus Jack beating some ass and then it ended with, you know, Shane getting the upper hand and Mikey Whipwreck literally bludgeoning a, a man's head outside his skull. If you're going to do like unprotected chair shots, like which obviously you shouldn't do because it's bad and it hurts and it's very bad for your brain health. And now we know about concussions and whatnot. I do love the image of Cactus Jack uh, handcuffed, arms handcuffed behind his head just running at Shane Douglas and taking chair shots over and over again. And then just standing up and being like, fuck you. And like, keep running at him. Like you said, like a zombie, like <laughs> just like you cannot kill cactus Jack. You have to like, like you, you cannot kill this man. Like he like literally just keeps running at you until he dies. You know, it's, it, it was something. It is pretty crazy. And like, that is like a very striking image. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, like Mick Foley is the toughest man in the world and he will he will never stop coming at you until you literally have to like behead him. You know, I'd say Mikey does that. <laughs> Mikey Doug uh, fucking Mikey Whipwreck. Hits the 
fuck out of that chair shot. I mean, oh my god, that one really like made me recoil in horror. Uh, he just hit the shit out of poor Mick Foley. I watched it back. I'm like, how? I was like, there's got to be something I'm missing here in terms of like how he takes this. And nope. No, just he, a pure it, it, chair it, shot. It is really a wonder that I, I'm sure, you know, Mick Foley, man, I know Mick Foley physically is, has suffered a lot of the, uh, the repercussions, the style that he wrestled. But honestly, like he's 57 years old. It's, it's honestly like stunning that his brain works at all. Thank God it does. I mean, thank, thank, thank fuck it does because we love, we love Mick Foley. Everyone loves Mick Foley. Uh, but like, it's crazy that he doesn't just have straight up just like complete dementia, you know, still seems to like be more or less cognizant, completely, completely like cognitively fine, you know, which is amazing, like amazing. Like this man is like a, a medical, they need to study this man's brain. Like <laughs> really like need to study his brain like now, um, like he might have the cure to CTE. Like he, like his, like it, they might be able to synthesize a vaccine for CTE <laughs> from Mick Foley's for blood. brain repair. Yeah, they might be able to back like do like figure out a, a dementia vaccine from Mick Foley's blood. Like seriously, it's crazy. Um, God bless him. God bless him. Shane Shane Douglas though gets his shit in in this match and it looks good. And yeah, that dive was great. I, that was that was again one of the huge spots of the night for me, especially because Shane Douglas. Not a guy who you would think of as a big, like high flyer, really ever, but he hits one of the biggest dives of the show. Um, a show that had Sabu and Scorp and a lot of some some good high flyers. He hits a in, insane high, uh, insane dive here. Next up, we have the main event. We have our full entrances here. One of the only matches on the show that we get entrances really. Uh, Raven comes out with all his goons, Stevie Richards, Blue Meanie, Kimona. The Sandman comes out. He, I, the Sandman's entrance is so fucking long. He takes forever to come out. I mean, this is, it's like longer than a WrestleMania uh, Undertaker entrance. <laughs> um, you know, he's doing it, but it's the Sandman. You know, you get what, you, you know what you're getting. He's chugging the beers. Uh, he's got Missy Hyatt with him as his manager. Um, after eventually 10 minutes or so, he gets in the ring Raven, by the way, no sells the entire entrance, just sitting in one of the corners, looking away from him the entire time. Um, and then when he gets in the ring, Raven takes him by surprise and jumps him and, you know, tosses him out, hits a dive, hits a chair shot. Uh, Sandman reverses him into the barricade, um, hits a, you know, Sandman hits a Pescado to the floor. gets a lot of offense. He uh, hits a starts throwing chairs into the ring. He's beating him up. Uh, we get a cutoff where, uh, the blue meanie distracts him. Sandman goes after him. Raven hits him with the chair, hits the, uh, hits his DDT finisher on the chair, but, uh, Missy Hyatt distracting the referee, the very rare baby face manager distracting the referee spot. uh, which honestly I do like as a counter to heels doing it. I always say a baby face doing heel shit to a heel doesn't count as heel shit. Fair, it's, oh, it's fair game. It's it's fair game if you do it to a heel because they're evil and they do not deserve to feel the warmth of God upon them. Um, so yeah, Sandman hits a DDT on the chair. 
We then get a uh, a cat fight between Missy Hyatt and Kimona. Well, Joey Styles screeching and hollering while they're fighting. Um, Sandman is like distracted by the two women fighting. He's standing there watching all this. Turns around directly into a Stevie Richards super kick. Uh, referee is also distracted by the women fighting. So it takes him a while to notice that Raven is pinning the Sandman after the super kick. And then the Sandman kicks out at two. Uh, we get a ref bump that appears to be inadvertent. Uh, like, uh, like they tried to do, like, I think they tried to do a, like, uh, fireman's carry type thing. And then like Raven accidentally kicks him in the side of the head. So the ref like goes down and then gets back up, which was kind of funny. Um, the Sandman, or, or, uh, it was Sandman hits a diving leg drop, uh, then kicks Raven kicks out at two. Then we get an actual for real ref bump here. Uh, Blue Meanie and Stevie Richards, which again, like they didn't do disqualifications. So why do we need to do a ref bump? No idea. Now, the ref is not calling any of this shit. So why do we need to have like there's nothing really stopping the Blue Meanie and Stevie Richards from just beating the shit out of them and doing whatever. But we get this ref bump. Blue Meanie and Stevie Richards come in. Uh, Sandman faces off with him and it's very funny. Like Stevie, such a weasel, Stevie Richards, such a fucking weasel, like pushes blue meanie into the Sandman and then runs away. Um, Sandman has the kendo stick. He whacks, uh, the blue meanie up with the kendo stick. Um, the Nazi twins show up are like third appearance of the Nazi twins. They get in, they hit a double choke slam on the Sandman. The referee wakes up as Raven is going for the pin, but Sandman kicks out. Uh, Raven sets up a chair, fucks up a brain buster. I mean, just totally, completely botches this move. Like, never even comes close to hitting it. Um, then he tries to go for a superplex. Sandman fights out, but Raven tosses him off the middle rope into the chair, then hits a DDT on the chair. It gets the pin. Raven retains the ECW title, eight minutes and 21 seconds. Fans are chanting bullshit. Uh, and then the ending is a little bit of a, a little question mark here. Um, Meanie start blue Meanie starts pouring beer on the Sandman, like mocking him. Sandman gets up, chugs a beer. It's sort of like a Popeye spinach type thing. <laughs> the Sandman chugging this beer. He wakes up and he whacks, you know, he gets up the, the kendo stick. He kills all the goons with the kendo stick. He gets the mic. Maybe you're expecting the Sandman to cut a promo here. no, he just yells the word mommy over and over again, like five times. Apparently mommy is referring to Missy Hyatt, who he called mommy. Uh, he, but he's just like screeching mommy, like a five-year-old. Um, not in like a Dominic Mysterio way, just in like a five-year-old type of way. Um, and then Missy Hyatt gets in the ring, gives him a beer, uh, gives him a cigarette, and then they like stare at, like smolderingly stare at each other in the ring as the show ends. Very, very odd ending here to this one. That was kind of off-putting a little bit. Yeah, all the uh, goodwill that was given by Two Cold Scorp and Sabu uh, gets used up here because I'm not a fan of the ECW title. Um, this match itself wasn't really anything special. Like there, there's a big delayed suplex that I think Sandman hit early. That was like really impressive considering like Raven's size and Sandman's not really a big, strong guy. Like he's strong, obviously, but like, he's not built like a muscular dude. Anyone can suplex anybody, Angelo. It's all about them. No, it's it's delayed though. Like he was able to like hold him up for a while. 
Um, These guys are pros. Sandman, I've I've met the Sandman. He's bigger than you think. Okay. He he, he doesn't look big when it compares to other wrestlers. He looks a little bit leaner. He's not by any means like the biggest guy in the world, but he's like, I would say like a little bigger than me, you know, for instance. Okay. Um, Again, another huge CV kick that always looks very good. The ref bumps too. Like, is there anything more useless than an ECW official? Yeah, I just, again, I, I, ECW feels like you should call your own fouls, like call your own foul blacktop games like you don't really need a ref. Yeah, I just didn't really understand the point of the ref bump here. And again, like the previous match, the um, the Shane Douglas, uh, the Shane Douglas match, they're talking about like Joey Styles is talking about like, yeah, man, the referee is really letting this one go. And it's like, well, what else would he? It's ECW. It's ECW. Like, that's the point, you know? Like, oh, he's letting uh, Shane Douglas use weapons. Every other guy has used weapons in every other match. It, I was just like, what are you talking about, dude? Yeah, no idea. Um, and it sucks because I like the Raven and I like Sandman. It's just this match was kind of like all the things about ECW that if you think about for more than five seconds, you're questioning why it was so popular. <laughs> but it was. It was. I mean, not like not like popular in the sense that they ever made money because uh, they didn't. But. Still, you know, like had a. Like developed a very big fan base because it was so different. Right? Hey, they're, they're able to sell pay-per-views. They didn't make they didn't make money, but they were selling pay-per-views. Yeah. Never made enough money for Paul Heyman to pay his fucking wrestlers. But hey, you know, like legitimately very influential i mean you you go a, a year later ecw or wcw and wwf are stealing their shit constantly you know what i mean like mm-hmm. what was the attitude era it was just them stealing all the shit that they liked from ecw you know that's all it was um so again you know it's like i feel like it was a kind of you had to be there type of thing i guess so people had gotten so tired of the WWF and WCW products, especially like pre NWO, like you're talking about like now, especially, but like pre NWO, um, had become so fucking like sanitized and like just fucking dorky and just like dull overly like, yeah, like, like fucking super PG and dull that, you know, the, all the, all the, like the massive number of fans that were brought into, pro wrestling in the eighties, right? All the little Hulkamaniacs had grown up and like all the little Hulkamaniacs aren't eight years old anymore. Right. They're all like in their late teens or early twenties and they're drinking beer and they're jerking off and they want, they want some shit that like, you know, that like they're, they're, they're tired of the, they're tired of the kid shit. You know what I mean? And Mm -hmm. like the product that WWF and WCW hadn't really grown along with them. And now they want something that's a little more edgy because, you know, you, you remember how you are when you're fucking 17. You're all, all of us are little try hard edgelords, you know, <laughs> you know, well, that, that's part of growing up is you have at least a phase where you're a little try hard edgelord bitch. And that's what all of these guys are. Again, like, all of these guys <laughs> were the little Hulkamaniacs when they were eight years old and now they're not eight years old anymore, but they're still watching wrestling and they're tired of WWF. And now it's like, oh, here's like here's like a fucking here's here's a, something completely different. That's more more adult, 
You know, there's more, there's more kind of, there's more depth. There's more different transgressive shit going on. This is like, I, I, I can watch this and feel like I'm watching something cool, you know? Right. That's what it was. And that's why, you know, it, it got such a dedicated fan base. I don't know about you, Dave, but there are very few moments on this card where I'm like, yeah, this shit's cool. Now there were, there were moments. There were definitely some 23. I mean, this is a, I think it's a, you had to be there sort of thing. I mean, and a lot of it, like, to this day, it's a lot of stuff in ECW. A lot of the, especially a lot of the really good, like, kind of lucha inspired. Or, or oh, the lucha stuff was always good. Like, it, like this, the stuff like Sabu and Scorpio and stuff like that. Like, you can go back today and watch it and appreciate it and say, "Man, this stuff holds up." But a lot of it, I think, is just like a. A lot of it doesn't. But it was a you had to be there kind of thing, and we weren't there. Man, we're watch we watch this stuff back with with uh through the goggles of it being 2023 but people were people were view were, were grading stuff in a completely different way back then so still still an interesting watch and still still some stuff to get out of it and still some some fun to be had so that'll bring us to our two and a half marks angelo uh yeah my negative half mark is going to littering and poor hygiene because like man that shit was dirty, and it was very obviously dirty. And it's not like, uh, again, like we meant talked about before. It makes my skin crawl. Uh, the like the under the bleachers was every high school football game where you're like looking at after the fact, and you see how much shit's been dropped down there. It's gross. It's disgusting. And then seeing how gross Scorpio and Sabu got. It's just it doesn't make your product look good. If that's how like you're going to keep your environment that you work out of, it's just not. It says a lot about your company if you can't keep it in a proper state. It's again gross, just skin crawling. One mark is going to undeniability. Uh, I save this for Taz, Sandman, Sabu, Scorp, Raven, and Shane Douglas. Like, because like I think those six guys didn't necessarily need ECW to be successful. I think you put any of those six guys in any other program in any other company, and I think they figure out ways to get over in a meaningful way. Because I think those six were just like supremely talented. Even Shane Douglas on WCW, while it wasn't always the best thing ever like i appreciate what he was he was a very solid worker who had a very solid character like he was a very solid pro wrestler he just was good he was good at his job uh you know and then the rest i don't think i really need to go into more depth raven had this weird connection with the crowd that made everything he said felt super important scorpio was an insane high flyer ahead of his time sabu an insane worker who did insane things taz just guy who suplex everything and then sandman also had that weird uh connection with the crowd those guys were undeniable and like, there's a few other guys. I think Stevie Richards, not as big of a name, but someone that was just a fantastic pro wrestler. Bubba Ray Dudley, a guy who evolved with the business and just got really like became an iconic tag team guy. Those guys were super undeniable. And on the flip side, my negative two marks. It's going to ECW undercard. I know a lot of people like the pit bulls are one that people wax poetically about. They were big juice dudes who wore leather singlets. Uh, I didn't really see the allure there. Uh, The Bad Crew, Spiros Greco, uh, a bunch of jabronis here. Um, Headhunter surprised me, but like there wasn't anything really with the undercard that really grabbed my attention. There's nothing that I thought was like, yeah, you know, this guy was really slept on back in the day. I'm just like, okay, cool. They threw together these matches and there's not a lot to grab onto. 
And while some of the work was okay, just the sheer random of randomness of it all, I'm just like, I can't really follow it. I don't really care. Uh, so negative two marks for the ECW undercard because it didn't felt like those were ever anything. You could tell Paul Heyman didn't want to pay for it. Let me put it that way. Yeah. You can tell that none of these guys were getting paid. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. I'm going to give my half mark to a very specific moment that happens in, I believe it was the main event. Or was it the Cactus Jack match? Let me find it in my notes here. Nope, it was during the main event. So it's like right at the beginning of the match. Um, a guy in the front row holds up a sign that says WCW, where the big suits harass women, which is already like a pretty insane. <laughs> <laughs> like, but like I see it. I'm like, OK, that's uh, there's a story there. I don't fucking know. Uh, that's that's kind of wild to bring that to a, a show when you're on hard cam. Uh, <laughs> but it's like, OK. The guy has that sign and Joey Styles. Joey Styles is just an inveterate fucking like every single time he has the opportunity to take a shot at WCW or WWF. He takes that shit every time. Um, and he's like, oh, it, like he starts reading it. He's like, oh, somebody brought a sign about WCW. I'm sure he's talking shit about it. I'm going to read off this sign and he starts reading it. And then he's like. Oh, wait, no, I can't say that. <laughs> That's I'm, a lawsuit. Like, he's like, oh, boy, let me read this sign talking shit about WCW. And then he's like, oh, wait. And then, like, like you can read, like, he, you can see, like, midway through, he realizes, like, oh, this might be legally actionable if I read this. Okay, I'm going to not. <laughs> I can't. Sorry, guys, I can't say that. <laughs> I was losing my shit listening to that. I thought that was so fucking funny. Um, yeah, so uh, half mark to that specific uh, thing that happened right there. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to give a one mark to when you can look at a guy and tell immediately that they're a jobber. Like, you can't <laughs> tell me that if you watch this show that you look at the dirt bike kid and you're like, yeah, this guy has a chance of winning this match. You know, like, <laughs> look at the dirt bike kid in that get up, face it, like facing the guys that he was facing that are like three times his size. It's like, I don't know who any of these people are, but I know who's not winning. <laughs> like... It's, it's this guy, the dirt bike kid, is absolutely fucked. And boy, was he <laughs> amazing. And yeah, I'm, I'm going to give my full two. I'm surprised to be giving two full marks, like positive marks to everything here. But I'm going to give my two full marks to any gimmick where a guy who is not Italian is pretending to be Italian. Um, because that was always my favorite part of the FBI faction was like at least half the people in the FBI at any given time were not actually Italian, but like they were like, like, you know, obviously JT Smith wasn't actually Italian, but like Tracy Smothers was in the FBI as well. He was very much not Italian. Um, they had a German guy in it at one point, if I remember correctly. Um, like they always had random, like, I think like, they had like uh, they've had like other guys in it before that were just like very blatantly not Italian. Um, and like I think like like at one point, like Mabel was in the fucking uh, 
FBI at one point like made one or two appearances where they're like, yeah, like Mabel's Italian, you know, like like Viscera Mabel. Um, <laughs> but it's, I always think that's funny as shit because it's like, yeah, like J.T. Smith, who is obviously not Italian comes out and he's like doing the fucking hand gestures you know man like hey like someone like hands him a pizza and he's like hey i love pizza it's like just it's just like the like most like like fucking i don't know like like reaching for the lowest branch of comedy shit ever but it just i don't know i just find it funny i always have hey there's always a chance hey there's a chance everyone's italian yeah who knows? We're all, you know what? We're all we're all a little Italian. Far enough. We're all a little Italian, folks. So that'll wrap up our coverage of ECW Cyber Slam 1996. So I am going to hit the randomizer, last order of business, and see what we're going to be watching next time on the pod, Angelo. As I pull this up. What do you want to see? I begged for ECW and I immediately regretted it 30 minutes into the pay-per-view. I need something that's a little bit coherent. My 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 ADD adult brain could not handle the ups and downs and focus that was required to watch ECW. Well, then. Uh, well, I think, is this going to be back when they had every WWE pay-per-view was fucking three and a half hours? Or? Oh, boy. Hope not. I'm going to have to look this up. But we are going way forward in time next time to WWE Extreme Rules 2018. Main evented by 30-minute Iron Man match between Dolph Ziggler and Seth Rollins. One of the only times that you can ever recall the Intercontinental Championship main eventing over the world title. You had AJ Styles and Rusev for the WWE title, followed by, in the main event spot... Dolph Ziggler, Seth Rollins, 30-minute Iron Man match. Got, you know, a... This is a 10-match card. What the hell are we doing? 10-match? Yeah, dude, I'm telling you, this shit's going to be long as fuck. I'm going to... I'm actually going to look it up right now and see how long it's... It's 1,000% going to be like a... It's going to be three and a half hours. Like, they just let that shit get away from us. Or we have to split up a freaking Extreme Rules pay-per-view because we talk about it for four hours. Cough it out. It'll be fine. Let me see. 2018... Three and a half hours. Dear God, why did they think this was a good idea? Why is Finn Balor and Baron Corbin a singles match on this card? I don't remember. I don't remember any of this shit, honestly. Uh, okay, one of them is Chinsuke versus Jeff Hardy, six-second match. Oh, this is the James Ellsworth above the ring in a shark cage shit. I remember that. Okay. Well, Lash- Lashley Roman in a singles match. At least that feels like a pay-per-view match. God, okay. Well, that's what we're going to be watching next time. I, not, a, not a time in WWE that I remember very fondly. This is a, this is when Seth and Dolph were just going back and forth, forth the entire time uh, during the summer where there was no world title because Brock was on vacation. Yep, it is a it is a Brock Universal Champion vacation time. Uh, so we get a oh, uh, uh, pay-per-view main evented by the Intercontinental title. Very interesting. So that will wrap up our coverage of this episode of Two and a Half Marks. So for my good friend Angelo and Glisa, my name is David Statman. Thanks, everybody, for listening.